I will speak to you in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Good morning. Well, it seems that as the COVID-19 numbers have plateaued here in Florida, for the time being anyway, and as numbers continue to stay low here in the city of Jacksonville, thanks be to God, this present relief is giving everyone time to get back into something else that was already acting like a virus long before the pandemic ever reared its ugly head, the upcoming presidential election. Now, I'm not referring to the election as viral because I'm not proud of our country's great democratic process of free election. I am incredibly thankful for our right as citizens to vote and to elect those who we choose to lead our government, especially the President of the United States. Rather, the election process and American politics become something more like a virus when they begin to spread and take over just about every thought, every discussion, every worry, every heated debate and decision we make, not only in the media, but also in our own personal lives and at home. And considering that many of our sports teams, I hate to say it, aren't playing this fall, and our favorite concerts and shows are already canceled, and most people aren't really feeling safe enough to go see a movie, that I think we can pretty much count on this year's decisive and divisive presidential election continuing to overtake just about everything in our lives but the coronavirus through this upcoming November and beyond. This past week, I was forced to deal with this fact personally myself, when I received what I can only expect will be the first of many, many political ads, messages, emails, and social media posts related to the election from friends and from people in the church. This was a text message with the link to a short political ad put together by someone or by some group who wanted to let people of faith know the one who would be the most important, the right candidate in the election to help the church and the country get through the next four years with deep Judeo-Christian moral values. I certainly remember these same kinds of videos from back in 2016 and all the elections before. They're almost always built around the words of a speech given by their candidate to address one of the hot-button issues of our time. This one I received for this year's election was exactly the same, with the presidential candidate doing a good job, sticking closely to the teleprompter and reading a well-written portion of the address about the topic which this good, concerned parishioner felt I, as her priest, would want to hear. And from the short few sentences that I heard in the ad, I'll be honest with you, I thought it was a good speech and I agreed with it. They absolutely got that portion right. But when the speech ended, it was as if the filmmaker expected me to be so moved and overwhelmed by the words alone that that would be how I would make my decision and vote. What the ad failed to do, as is the case with 99.9% of all short political ads, regardless of party, was to really present me with facts of just where the words spoken had actually been put into action. I mean, really, it's very true that my sweet, beautiful five-year-old daughter is already figuring out 
that if she just smiles and shows me those gorgeous eyes she got from her mama and says the right words, I, her father, can be a pushover and be easily convinced to give her what she wants. But I know as her father and as an adult that my job is to actually teach her that she must always put those words into action first. Not just say what I like to hear her say, but far more importantly, to do what her mother and I want to see her do. So why would educated, sensible people ever be expected to accept words, no matter how good or inspiring over actual deeds and actions? And of course, when it comes to our politicians, thanks to public records and the press, no one has to go too far to find out if those words really do match up with what the person has done, not only in their political service to country and community and city, but also in their personal lives. And Lord knows, as a Christian priest, pastor, and preacher, I can never forget that I myself am always just one sermon away from someone challenging me with that age-old question as to whether or not I really practice what I preach. So in that regards, I guess we clergy are in pretty much the same category as our public officials and our leaders. Though what we say can have an impact, speeches and sermons will always be destined to collapse and be useless if we, the preachers and the speakers, don't actually live out what we profess and what we proclaim. And you know what? That's really what I believe Jesus himself is dealing with in the rough readings we just heard from chapter 15 in the Gospel of Matthew. We begin with Jesus dealing yet again with those Pharisees and Jewish scribes who have journeyed now up from Jerusalem to Galilee to listen to Jesus and to begin finding ways to challenge him. He's just drawing in too large a crowd. They've observed Jesus allowing his disciples to eat without washing their hands, which I know is quite gross for us today. But remember, in those days, it wasn't about health. It was actually about breaking Jewish Torah law that said that defiling the body could come from eating food with hands that had not been washed because of what those hands might have been in contact with that was unclean. When Jesus hears this accusation, he will offend the Pharisees even more by proclaiming that it actually isn't whatever enters the mouth that defiles the person. Instead, it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then Jesus will explain to his struggling disciples, trying to put all this together, what we already know. And that is that what we eat certainly goes into our body and, and comes out of the body. But what comes out of the mouth, when it comes from the heart, which is the center of our being, becomes not only what comes out, but also what we do and what we are. And it is only those things that can ever impact us or defile us. Jesus says, for out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. And those things aren't just words. Jesus is talking about what we are proclaiming, becoming what we are actually doing and what we are believing. Now that, I think, should have settled it right then and there. 
but with his disciples and with all of those traveling with him and following him from town to town, it certainly does not seem to be the case with what follows. For in the final verses of this morning's gospel, we see this teaching in the Galilee put to the test farther up to the north, on the coast of what is now the damaged country of Lebanon, in a place which in biblical times was known as Tyre and Sidon in Phoenicia. Why Jesus and his disciples have traveled into a non-Jewish land, the gospel doesn't tell us. But it is here, in one of the hardest set of verses in the scripture to understand and wrap our heads around, that Jesus shows to the disciples how words can become actions and change everything, not just in defilement, but also in purification, in love, and in salvation. As they are all traveling, a Canaanite woman, we are told, begins to follow them. And she begins to cry out to Jesus to have mercy on her and to please heal her daughter, who she says is tormented by a demon. This is not out of the ordinary, of course, for Jesus. He is constantly being sought out by those with illnesses or possession for healing or exorcism. But for the disciples, from where they are in that moment, this must have been very strange. For this is a Canaanite woman. This is a pagan, a worshiper of foreign gods. And yet she is standing there following them everywhere they go, calling out to Jesus and naming Jesus Lord and Son of David. Everything that's coming out of her mouth doesn't fit what the disciples expect because of who she is in race and ethnicity. And so the disciples can't seem to put together what she is saying and doing with who she is and who she represents. According to Torah law, this woman is nothing but unclean. So they stop Jesus, who has said nothing so far, and they ask Jesus to please stop this woman and send her away. And when Jesus finally does address the woman, the words that come out of Jesus' own mouth are without question still very hard for our ears to hear. In that moment, Jesus seems to pronounce verbally exactly what the disciples expected him to say. He calls the Gentile woman over and explains to her that he has only been sent for one thing, and that is to save the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And because of that mission, it is not fair to take those children's food, Jesus' healing and his love and his teachings, and to cast it to what are viewed by the Jewish people as little more than dogs at that time. These are without question some of the most scathing words to ever come out of the mouth of Jesus. Yet as terrible as they are for us today, they would have been the kind of words that would have made perfect sense to Jesus' disciples and followers and certainly to those who were reading the Gospel of Matthew. To even touch a Gentile, much less a woman who's also a Gentile, was absolute defilement. Yet as they cling to this portion of the Jewish law, it blinds them completely from even noticing that this very woman seems to be recognizing Jesus in a way that they themselves, Jesus' own disciples, had not quite been able to wrap their own minds around fully yet. It is this pagan woman calling Jesus Lord, calling him the son of David, which is the Jewish king and the Jewish Messiah. And I believe really that's what Jesus was going for. This is the action that he's setting up for us. Why else 
Would the writer of Matthew tie this story with the passage we heard right before it in verses 10 through 20? When Jesus teaches his disciples about what really defiles in response to Pharisaic reading of law in the Torah. Now Jesus is going to show everyone with ears to hear what really comes out of the mouth to show purification and transformation of what's inside in the heart. For when the woman responds to Jesus who's just called her exactly what the law declared her to be. The real purity of her heart, revealed in the words she utters and the unwillingness to turn away, rises fully above what she is being viewed at outwardly, and it unsettles everything. Because instead of responding with equal words of anger and disgust for the Jews that have traveled into their own country, the woman simply says to Jesus, Yes, Lord. It is unfair to throw the children's food to the dogs, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And to this earth-shaking response, words that reveal her fully seeking only one thing, and that is the true master, Jesus turns to the woman and says, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And the gospel says her daughter was healed instantly. Brothers and sisters, the connection here, I believe, is so important for us in our world today. Words are words, but if they come out of our mouth tied firmly to a deep faith that shapes everything that we are, our very heart and our very being, only then can those words really reveal the truth. Out of that great faith in the story we hear this morning comes a daughter who is healed, a woman who is transformed, and a band of struggling disciples who are being schooled to understand that following Jesus absolutely requires more of us than we probably ever expected, even from the law of the Old Testament. And it certainly requires us to start putting into practice what we preach, say, and testify about the God we believe in and the Jesus we are trying to follow. And we have to do that above everything else. Trust me, when this occurs in our own life and in someone else's life, we'll no longer need fancy words, big speeches, or 60-second ads to inspire us. For as Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. They will know who we are, not by what we say, but what we do and what we live out. Thanks be to God.